Hello, folks, and welcome to e-commerce QA. This is the podcast where store owners, directors of e-commerce, and e-commerce managers can stay up to date on the latest tools and technologies in e-commerce. I'll be joined on the show by my colleague and partner in crime, Dylan Holst. Our goal is to handle one or two questions per episode. You can check us out on the web at ecommerceqa.tv. There you'll be able to get in touch, ask us questions, and just generally participate. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am Dylan Holst, and today I am joined by Michael Bauer of Celery Commerce. And today we're going to be talking about UX design specifically for e-commerce websites. So, Michael, how are you? I'm good, Dylan. How about you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to be here today and talk about something that's relatively interesting, but I think often overlooked in the grand scheme of things in the sense that, you know, UX can go a long way towards making people feel comfortable on your site and also making people feel comfortable spending money on your site. I find it interesting that you draw a distinction between those two because, I mean, it is two different things, right? But one has to lead into the other, which is the whole point. Yeah. You know, as we're broaching the topic here, I'd like to kind of bring up another term in addition to UX. Okay. So first of all, I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with the distinction between UI, user interface, and Mm. and UX, user experience. Why don't you give us the definition then? Okay. (laughs) Off the top, user interface refers to the presentation layer of your website, the Mm -hmm. thing people actually see. Sure. User experience refers to how the user experiences the site. Yeah. Meaning, what is the flow that they go through when using the pages? Where are the friction points? It's a very customer, user-focused activity rather than just an aesthetic Well, that looks pretty. So let's think about this big picture, right? In terms of approaching your website and, you know, designing it for an optimal user experience, what should the goal be? You know, what are the big things that we have to keep in mind? Well, this leads me to maybe the other thing that I'd like to clarify, which is that there's another term that we need to think about called customer experience. Mm. Customer experience refers to the total experience that a customer has across your whole brand, Mm -hmm. across all of your properties, across any point of intersection with your, you know, when they call you on the phone, when they see you at a pop-up store, when they, sure, you know. So customer experience is the grid or the lens through which we need to see user experience. And user experience is the lens through which we need to see user interface. So mm. maybe we can hit all these at the same time because it's all really the the goal, to your point, yeah, is to provide a satisfying purchasing experience with all the follow-up and all the preparation that goes into that. So everything from the first point of familiarity that a user, this is before they're even a shopper, right, has of your brand, of your store, all the way through to when they've made multiple purchases and they're a raving fan and they're always referring to to other people. And I love that term, purchasing experience. And it kind of goes back to when we made the distinction between you know, somebody's ability to buy something on your website versus their ability to just enjoy being on your website, right? They're both they're both part of UX, but they are slightly different in how you approach, you know, you have to think about both or else you're missing, you know, one side of the coin, essentially. So maybe you could give us some examples of some real basic UX principles that you've learned, I guess, through your time as, you know, <laughs> helping people grow their e-commerce websites. For sure. Yeah, so I'm very opinionated about UX, and that might strike some people as funny because I'm not actually a great designer, right? Mm. But to my earlier point, UX is not just about aesthetics. It's and, and there's a lot of designers that are terrible at UX. So mm-hmm. 
I'm opinionated. That doesn't mean I'm great, but here are some things that, that are really important to me and that I often talk to clients about. First of all, there's a very strong trend these days towards white space. Mm. In a similar way to the fact that I just introduced two pauses into our conversation a moment ago, it kind of slows you down a little bit, makes you think about the context. Sure. Maybe yeah. gives a little bit more gravitas to my words. Ha ha. Um, and a website is kind of like a conversation, right? It's a story. You're guiding someone through from one point to another. It's a journey. And when you have white space, it's like having punctuation or like having a, a little bridge in a song where it just shakes things up a bit. Yeah. So, you know, when the when the web first kind of started, right, people started making websites to sell things on, there was this trend towards verticality, right? There were a lot of websites that were designed where they weren't making use of the full page and you'd have to scroll all the way down to find information. And then for a while, we started to see websites that were super horizontal, right? How does this work into what you're saying in terms of there needing to be white space on your page? What does that look like? Yeah. Well, when we talk UX, trying to think about timeless principles, very cognizant of the fact that the trends in web design change year over year in the similar way that they do in the fashion industry. Sure. So a year and a half ago, this is 2016 right now. So, you know, late 2014, we were still seeing a lot of flat, flat, very flat design. That was the trend. And that was following uh, Microsoft's release of Windows 8 that had the, the Metro theme that, that had no shadows and no dimensionality. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Apple followed suit with iOS 7, things being really flat. And, and along with that came really narrow fonts because now that we have retina screens, we can render extremely narrow fonts. Well, there was some backlash from that. And so people started realizing, you know, A, don't make everything completely flat and B, don't have fonts that are literally too narrow to read. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> and so we came out, Google comes out with material design. And you can see it, it's the big players that are the trendsetters. And these things are our you know, operating system UI, and that you know, influenced the entire realm of web design. Yeah. So you know, I, I'm not that interested in talking about things like you know, Roboto is a, is a font that you can use sure. right now that will make your website look modern because everybody else is using that. I'm more interested in talking about longer-term things. So yeah, you know, with white space, getting back to your question and thinking about readability and legibility, it's a, a satisfying purchasing experience, as we've talked about before in this show, means different things to different audience. So if it's a B2B purchasing experience, generally speaking, and this could depend on the industry, but the goal is to be able to find information very quickly and to make purchases with low friction. It has very little to do with the overall aesthetic, and it probably also has very little to do with the price, mm -hmm. that, or at least the, you know, you don't on a B2B website, you don't want to see promotional banners that are telling you how you can save a few bucks. You want to know how you can save in bulk, things like that. Yeah. So so you're making a really important distinction here between different kinds of industries and how UX looks different, you know, how your user experience should change depending on what industry you're in. Can you give us some examples of industries that you think it would be better to use a more design-oriented layout user experience think maybe you know apple or something like that apple's website sure. versus something like amazon where you know it's a marketplace and yeah. it's more well, that's informational the, that's a good you, know, you kind of led into it right there usually brands need to focus on 
the aesthetic more mm. because they they technically speaking have less information, right? Sure. Or at least yep. have less less fewer products, and they need to make a huge deal of those few products. Apple only has you know, for all practical purposes, they have maybe four or five product lines, and you're the biggest company in the world, or at least have been. Amazon sells every single product under the sun, <laughs> except for Apple products, right? Um, <laughs> and they need to cram a lot of information on there. So nobody's going to be, no, I don't think anybody goes to Amazon and goes, wow, this is such a beautiful website. Yeah. And that there's two things that go into that. Number one, Amazon is more about distribution than it is about the Amazon brand or the brand yeah. is equivalent to the distribution of you can get anything you want at Amazon. The focus is all on the things you want and how quickly you can get them. But Amazon's usability, people are really divergent on. Um, but uh, getting back to your question, and then I need to get back to your other question. Marketplaces, multi-brand retailers, yep, folks like that need to have a focus on usability and low friction. Sure. Whereas brands can and probably should introduce more interactive, immersive content, larger pictures, things like that. In fact, yeah, I would even go thing. so far as to say that the extent to which you mm-hmm. are emphasizing your brand has a direct correlation to how you know immersive and kind of high resolution, if you will, the whole experience needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, like, you know, I was thinking about buying a, a MacBook, one of the new MacBooks the other day, and I was on Apple's website and I was having not a difficult time, but it was, you know, it was not easy to figure out how to actually pre-order the product. Whereas when I go to Amazon, I literally can find what I want to buy and purchase it within two minutes. Yeah. And that that's a long time, right? <laughs> it is. But, you know, it's interesting that the fact that it's not that easy to purchase products on apple.com is not going to stop people from purchasing products on apple.com. It's just not as important. The ease of use in terms of adding a product to the shopping cart and going through checkout is not necessarily the most important factor in terms of whether or not somebody's going to go to that website and buy a product. It's the brand. So therefore, like you were saying, you know, putting the yeah. focus on the product and the, and the product line is it's what, what's important for that particular, for Apple mm-hmm. you know, as a company. And I would say, you know, thinking of Apple, Apple doesn't only sell online, right? So it's probably, if you never make it to their store, they don't really care because you're going to, you're going to go to one of their, you know, physical stores or you're going to, you know, want to go to WWDC or something. There's a lot to Apple beyond just the online retail experience. Whereas there's a strong trend towards a lot of brands going direct to consumer online. Example being Bonobos or Casper, the mattress company. In those cases, you're going to see their checkouts, their purchasing experiences are very um, much more probably easy to use even than Apple's. But I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was the industries where we would see this. And we gave some types Mm -hmm. of sellers. I've got a little story to tell. So we're working with a client right now who sells a product in the natural health industry, a very fun industry to work in. I, I love working in this space. And this seller offers their product in three varieties. And it's a great way of illustrating this conundrum of how how UXE to be, if you will. Because mm-hmm. there there can be kind of a conflict between having a beautiful site design and having something that converts well for a particular industry, customer sure. group. Yeah. So they have three ways that they sell. One is their standard product offering, which is a little bit cheaper than their competitors and it's really high quality. So kind of like your normal good quality, good price product. Then they have their premium line, which is, get this, it's the same product, it's just bottled differently, Hmm. right? And packaged differently. And so the perceived value is higher and the overall experience is elevated. 
And you can imagine they sell lower volume of that and make better margins. And sure. And they have a third way that they sell, which is B2B. Hmm. And we're redesigning all three of these experiences at the same time, which is super fun. I've never done this before because it allows us to, on the B2B, you can imagine we're doing things like having more, there's more text and it's more immediately available that says exactly what's great about the product and why you should be interested in it. And then it's done. Hmm. There's featured categories and those featured categories are very much emphasizing the products that we really think people are going to buy first and that their most popular lines. And we don't, we're not necessarily even going to include products that aren't big sellers. We're not trying to include everything under the sun. We're not trying to sure. impress someone. We're trying to put the product in front of them. We're going to have a quick order page where you can plug in you know, quantity and click add to cart for a whole bunch of items. And that's the B2B, right? For the premium brand, we're going to do, we're going to pull out all the stops. We're going to have, you know, moving video backgrounds and we're going to have, we might even try and do some cross marketing with some other big big names in the industry and just having everything be about the brand. And the third case, which is the one I started out with, we're just doing normal best practices for for UX. Okay. So we've been talking about these principles in the context of, you know, what's good for my particular brand or what's good for, you know, my particular industry. Sometimes I feel like people fall into the trap of becoming thinking too broadly in the sense that they want to appeal to the widest number of people, which is great, but at the same time, can that hurt them? Does that have the potential to hurt them in terms of when they're developing their user experience? Is there a point at which too broad is is a thing? Yeah, and I think this is mainly a problem for marketplaces because mm-hmm. and multi-brand retailers, because at that point, I mean, if you look at the way Amazon looks and Walmart and sites like that, you would take away that, oh, mm-hmm. if, I, if I want to sell to a lot of types of people, I better make my stuff really generic. Mm. And that may be true, but I would strongly suggest that you not try and compete with Amazon sure. and, and, and Walmart. Because, yeah, you can imagine that the fact that they look bland, but they're still in business and they're huge companies means that they're, they're, they're working on the volumes. But you can't do that, most likely. I mean, almost anyone listening to the show probably is not doing you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of revenue. You might be doing 100 million, but that's still, you need to specialize, right? So having a strong statement that is evident through your brand, that is evident through your entire site design mm-hmm. is very important. I read a, a, a cool email recently from a guy that I, whose email newsletter I'm subscribed to who shared how he just doesn't hold back. He is very authentic, and by that he just means says what he thinks mm. about the world, and that's his brand. And that's who he is. And, and he realizes that he turns some people off and that's not his audience. But I can tell you one mm-hmm. thing for sure. The people who are his audience, that confirms their resolution to keep yeah. reading his emails. So sure. tying this back, yeah, I would strongly advocate that you make your brand mean something. Hmm. Hmm. I like that. Make your brand mean something. Dylan, I have a question for you. Go for it. So what e-commerce store have you shopped at most recently other than Amazon? Other than Amazon. It's got to be Etsy. Really? Yeah, Etsy. What do you think of Etsy's user experience? I like it. I would say that it's a little bit difficult to find specific things through searching because I don't really know how their search algorithm works. I know. But, but what, what did you buy on Etsy, can I ask? Shampoo. No way. You bought yeah, shampoo, shampoo on Etsy. I did, yeah. 
Is this like artisanal shampoo? No, I mean, when you go to the store and you buy shampoo, I'll often they'll be filled with tons of chemicals. And I just happen to have very sensitive skin in general. So finding a natural product that didn't have chemicals that were going to hurt my skin was, it took me a while, but I found some on Etsy that, you know, works pretty well. Crazy. And do you buy this over and over? I've purchased it twice, the same shampoo, but I will say that- you probably will? Are you going to keep doing it? Yeah, definitely. Wow, crazy. I didn't know you could get shampoo on Etsy. I always think of Etsy as a place where you buy- Kind of um, cool, crafty stuff. And you can. and But but I would say that and there's a lot of really cool stores on there, right, where people are doing just amazing things. But at the same time, it's really difficult to find, to get an idea of all of the different things that are on Etsy. It's a little bit difficult, a little bit challenging. So it, Imagine if Etsy was like, oh, we need to fix our UX. People can't find stuff. And then they made it all flat and easy to understand. I actually think that would detract from the experience a little bit. There's, and the reason is because there's this, this continuum of easy to find stuff with a little bit dull of an overall experience. And then on the other end of the continuum, you have discovery, right? Where you don't really know what you're going to find next. It's like, you know, clicking, I'm feeling lucky and wondering what's going to show up. Some people love that. Yeah, I would say that that's good for people who don't know what they want to buy. And they're just coming out of the yeah. site and they're just like, oh, man, I want to buy something really cool on Etsy today, which is cool. I mean, I've done the same thing. But, n- but yeah, finding but they stuff had to know about hard. Etsy to do that. Right. Yep. True. Nobody goes to Google and says cool stuff to buy. Yep. <laughs> if you do, you'll find a bunch of uh, stuff you wouldn't want to buy. What was the last store that you shopped at, Michael? I, I want to ask you the same question. Yeah. That wasn't Amazon or a marketplace. <laughs> I guess <laughs> Etsy is technically a marketplace. Yeah. So, and it has to not be one of my clients. Yeah, it can't be a client. Okay, because I actually buy stuff for my clients. Um, oh, I know. I bought some root beer online. I can't remember what the store was though. Oh, you know what? Okay, I'll go back a little farther because this is interesting. So, I bought some beer for a friend using the website Beership. Beership. Okay. And I had no idea. It's such a pain to ship beer. It's a terrible pain. I called every single place in town in Fort Collins here that. And in Fort Collins, there's a beer town. Every single beer company has a presence here. A lot of craft breweries and stuff. Nobody wanted to ship beer for me. <laughs> so I went online and found this place. Is that just a shipping regulation thing? or? Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, so this place shipped beer. But to ship like six bottles of beer. And these were these were nice, like hard to find mm-hmm. bottles and stuff. But yep. it was over $100. And um, yeah. Mm. Okay. Beer ship. Good name on that one. Beership. Well, at least we know what we're going to get when we go to the site. Yeah. All right, Michael. Well, I appreciate your insight onto this topic. And guys, if you uh, take anything away from this show, I would say that, you know, the way that your site looks when you go to, uh, when a customer first comes to your site is really going to determine what they, how much time they end up spending on your site and, and what they experience, you know, what the experience is like for them. So. Yeah. And I, can I just add something to that? Yeah. If you don't feel like you have enough time to dial in everything about your look and feel, just start removing stuff. Yeah. Just take things off your page and you'll be amazed how much better things look. Mm, less clutter. Not for everybody. I have people that really wouldn't agree with that. They want to see tons of info, but but for most people, yeah. they like less stuff. Don't make mm. me think, right? Yeah. That's another principle. A little nugget at the end. Um, yeah, it would be great if everybody can go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating too. We never ask you to do that, but... Since every single other podcast in the world is doing that now, we'll join the crowd. 
<laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. And if you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to give us a call or send us an email and we'll, we'll be happy to start a conversation with you. So what's the uh, number to call and email to email? Those will be down in the show notes as well. But if you want to go there ahead and go, give folks. them a number. Show notes. Everything is going to be in the show notes. That's what we always say, right? Exactly. And also, if you want to sign up to receive, uh, be notified when episodes come live, just come to ecommerceqa.tv and sign up. Perfect. All right. Have a good day, guys. Keep selling, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>